0: of the end times, take your Bible and turn to the book of Revelation chapter 3 because I believe the seven churches written in the first chapters of the book of the Revelation is a progression of what ultimately the church will look like and looks like in the end times. When you and I are reading the letter that we're going to read here in a minute... I believe we're looking, and and we have the opportunity, James says, to look into the mirror and see what manner of man we are. Now, I'm not talking about how successfully you're doing in your business. I'm not talking about how much money you have in the bank. I'm not talking about how good you look or don't, or how big of a family or little a family have. I'm talking about when you look into the spiritual mirror, what do you see? What is it that Jesus reveals to you? In Revelation 3, verse 14, it says, Write this letter to the angel. Now, the closest that I'll ever be referred to, to an angel, is right here. Because I'm far from being an angel. But the angel here, the definition of angel is to be a messenger. And what Jesus was doing was writing letters to the churches, to the pastors of the churches referred to. And I'm sure they weren't all angels. But then he says this message is from one who is the amen, the faithful, the true witness, and the ruler of God's creation. Then he starts off pointing at what he saw and maybe what he sees today in us. It's Jesus who says, I know all the things you do. Can you imagine that? Do you know that Jesus knows everything we do? A lot of things your wife don't know you do. Or think. But Jesus knows it all. Some of your mom and dads, you don't know what your kids are doing. I didn't know everything my kids were doing until they get older, and they tell you. And I just soon they didn't. I was sure happy not knowing. I, I remember saying, Dad, I got to tell you some, some, something. He said, Son, if this has anything to do with what you did in the past, keep your mouth shut. I don't want to know. I said, Good, I ain't telling you then. Jesus said, I know all the things you do that you're neither co- hot nor cold. He said, but it would be my desire that you be one or the other. But since you're not either one, you're lukewarm, he says, I will spew you or spit you out of my mouth. Now, this is Jesus talking. You say I'm rich and I have everything I need or everything I want. Actually, the attitude is I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. He said, I advise you, I counsel you to buy gold from me, gold that has been tried and purified by fire. Then you'll be rich. Buy white garments so that you'll not be ashamed of your nakedness. And buy ointment for your eyes so you'll be able to see. Talking about seeing spiritually. I'm the one who corrects you and will discipline everyone that I love. Be diligent and turn from your indifference. For 10 years, I didn't see nothing but a whole lot of indifference. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Some of that indifference was in me as a pastor. You see, I think that's why Jesus started with the messenger or the angel of the church because if the pastor's not right. He's not going to be teaching right, not going to be preaching right, not going to be telling you right. Now, believe you me, you don't need the preacher to hear all your sins, and you don't need the preacher to teach you how to spiritually grow. You don't need me to teach you how to read the Bible. If you can't read it for yourself with all the self-helps we have today, you've got a real problem. We're living in what? The Bible says is the last days. You say, I don't believe that. Well, it doesn't matter what you believe. It's just the fact. That's what the Bible says. In Second Timothy chapter 3, if you want to turn there, you can follow me. It says, Paul says, you should also know this, Timothy, that we're in the last days. And in the last days, there are going to be some difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. It's not money that's evil, is it? It's your love for it. Hadn't changed yet. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God and disobedience to their parents. I don't guess there's ever been a generation so disobedient, and it's going to get worse, by the way, to their parents than it is now. You know, I knew what a woodshed was, even though I didn't ever go to one. I didn't have to. I never got out of the house. I got the tar beat out of me right there in my room. And he didn't beat me or he didn't whip me just because he felt like it. It's because I did something that I needed to be corrected and disciplined about. He says, people will love only themselves. They'll be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedience to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. Man, are we not there? They will be unloving and unforgiving. They'll be slandering others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and have no interest in what is good. They'll betray their friends and be reckless, be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. They will act as if they're religious, but they'll reject the power that could make them godly. You must stay away from people like that. The church is pictured in the book of the Revelation as a church that's powerless. Now, the church is not made up but anything other than people. And what he's saying is not everybody's powerless, But a lot of, or the majority of God's people, they really have no good, solid connection with Jesus. You talk about him, you hear it preached about, but the rest of the week don't have anything to do with him. The word Laodicea refers to the rights of the people. It speaks of the time when the church will become driven by its own strength, by its own power, by the rule of the people. In other words, don't matter what Jesus said. It doesn't matter what God says. We're going to do exactly what we want to do. If Jesus says, don't steal, it don't matter. He don't really mean that. I'll steal if I want to. You see, the Laodicean era was a spirit, uh, an era of a spirit of indifference, of coldness and insensitivity. Man, can you not see that we are driven in our society by not wanting to relate to people? Do you not see the commercials now where four people sit in the living room and look at their phones and laugh because someone suggests that they might communicate with one another? We're all guilty of that stupid phone now. And I'm telling you, nothing will substitute your relationship with Jesus or your relationship with your fellow man when you've got a stupid phone in your face. Some of you are so addicted to what this Bible is talking about here that you can't live without it. You would walk out of the house with your britches off, but you ain't gonna forget your phone. You say, you're just down on the phone. No, I got one somewhere I couldn't find it this morning. And I use mine and 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 you use yours, but some of you, when you go out to eat, I know who you are. Because you're sitting there eating with A fork in one hand and a phone in the other. That's ridiculous. How are you ever going to have a relationship with the Lord when you can't break away from your addiction to a telephone? Guarantee you don't have the same relationship with your husband and with your wife that you had when you started out without one. It's become a substitution. One we think we can't do without. You see, the land to see an era is an era of indifference, of coldness, insensitivity, apathy, no emotion. I hear a lot of people say, Well, I just don't believe there ought to be emotion in the church. Well, if you take emotion out of the church, it's about dead as a hammer. Look, I can do something with emotion, but I can't resurrect a corpse. I can see someone now. Your wife comes in and says, I'm leaving you. Well, I'm not showing any emotion. (laughs) You're a dead level telling what your problem is. You're probably the problem. Nothing wrong with emotion. Even Jesus wept, right? In Matthew 24, it tells us that In the last days, there will be an absence of iniquity. The absence of iniquity shall abound, and the love of many shall wax cold. That word wax means to become cold. Let me tell you, you know where I think most of the church is? Today, we are cold. I believe a lot of us are being right here described in this book. They lost their passion. Jesus starts out by the, with a complaint in verse 14 and 15. He says, this message is from the one who is the amen and faithful true witness and the ruler of God's creation. In John 1, it says that Jesus created everything and nothing exists that he didn't make. He, Jesus, being the word, John 1, 1, in the beginning, the word was with God and the word was God. You see, Jesus is the source of all creation. And yet, somehow... Please tell me, and I, can, I don't know, but did you spend any time last week at all? I'm talking about you claim to be a believer on the way to heaven. If you die, let me ask you something. Did you substitute any relationship or all or whatever by tying up all your time on the phone and no time at all? At all? With Jesus? Let me tell you something else I learned. Now, this isn't bad because I think you need to be in the Word, but some of us can be in the Word and still not have a relationship with Jesus. You can read and you can even pray cold. You can read cold and be cold and never hear. You see, Jesus is always speaking. But some of us are so far away, we don't care if we hear him or not. He don't move you. You're unmoved by God. The lukewarmness that Jesus is talking about or the complaint is, first of all, spiritual indifference. Verse 15, he says, look, you're neither hot nor cold. What's that mean? I could get into the back history of all that, but I'll tell you this right now. If you're hot for Jesus, you're on fire. If you're on fire, he's got your attention. But if you're cold, you're not even in the ballpark. And Jesus said, I would rather you be 100% on fire or 100% turned off than to be in the middle. Laodicea was a church hanging in the middle, riding the fence. They weren't hot, but they weren't cold. Now, some of you, I used to use this, and it trans, or it communicated because some, some of you don't like lukewarm coffee, and I don't either, but some of you like cold coffee, and you're just weird. <laughs> I love you, but you're weird. Anybody like ice cold coffee, there's something wrong. But anyway, it don't matter. Mine has to be so hot that it burns the sin off my tongue, and I sit there and blow it. But, man, if I pick it up and this lukewarm, you know immediately what I want to do with that is spit it out. And, see, Jesus is speaking to, to people. Now, some say, well, now, you can't be lukewarm, be a believer. Well, unfortunately, in context, you got a real problem. You, you hassle it out theologically. But he's speaking to the church here. He's speaking to believers here. And he said, look. You're cold. You're indifferent. You have no enthusiasm. You have no emotion. You have no passion. <laughs> you got to wear. you know what? I ain't doing nothing for Jesus of what I don't feel like I'm called to do. I'll tell you how I've trained a staff. All the guys of the past, and they thank me for it later on down the road when they get in those churches. that are a little difficult to move in. I teach them, I say this, guys, if you don't have the passion to pick up a broom and sweep God's floors, you have no business being on staff at Solarop, Because i tell you what I was called to do. I was called to clean toilets, if that's what Jesus needs. I was called to, to listen to, to, to people who, who, who are called out, if that's what he wants me to do. Just because I've been called the pastor or called the priest, it doesn't give me some kind of reason not to be able to or not have a desire to to do whatever. If it just means holding the door from somebody. You know, some of us get so, we get whacked out. We get to thinking, you know what, I was prestigious. There is no prestige when it comes. You know, the disciple said, who's going to sit by me? Who's going to be the first? He said, the last will be first. Didn't he say that? And the first will be last. We're all, we're all caught up in titles and positions. We're all called up who, who's closest to the pastor. Look, the closest you get to me, the more you're going <laughs> hey, to... I know why some of you don't get close to me. Because I'm going to ask you to do something. Gosh, I hope pastor don't ask me to do that. Spiritual indifference is just showing no interest and feeling of care whatsoever. Yes, you believe people are lost, but you don't give a rip. You've done nothing to share with the lost. You don't do anything about seeing anything like that's ever t- taken. Oh, you say, well, that's the, that's the deacon's problem. That's the deacon's job. That's the preacher's prop. That's, that's the people who are in there on staff. They're the ones supposed to share Jesus. Said, really? If you believe that, you're in trouble. Little girl in Sunday school got all of her memory verse all messed up, and it was, the verse was, many are called and few are chosen. She got a little mixed up, and she said and repeated it, many are cold, but few are frozen. I'll tell you what, you wouldn't think you'd find a lot of frozen in the church, but I do. You're more concerned of whether or not there is a speck on of something going on here, something you don't like, and you're so quick to criticize. You're instead of kind of joining arms and coming on board and saying, "You know what? By golly, I can help." Yeah, you can. You sure can. Jesus wants you and I to be on fire, not callous, not indifferent. Matter of fact, Dr. David Jeremiah said God looks at, the and and Laodicea was the apostate church. He looks at apostate and gets angry, but he looks at indifference and he gets ill. He says, I will spew thee out of my mouth. You know, the last thing I'd want to do is be a member of a church that made Jesus sick. (laughs) You want to be a part of a church that made Jesus sick? I don't. Lord, mercy, I don't want to make Jesus sick. Every morning I get up, hadn't always been this way in my life. I took a lot of things for granted, including Cindy. I I get up now and say, Jesus, I love you. And whatever you want me to do, Lord, it don't matter. I'll do whatever. I just want to be at peace with you. You see, all this is not complicated when you're serious and you want to hear from him. Some of you are seeking, and I know who you are. You're seeking him daily, and that's so cool. But me seeking him daily humbles me. It doesn't make me want to step on you or to say you're not qualified. But I'll tell you this, for the rest of my life, if Jesus didn't want me to do nothing but vacuum the floor, buddy, that's what I'd do because that's my heart. Is that every preacher's heart? I can't speak for them. I've just had to hang out a bunch of them, and they ain't like that for some reason. But I think that's the true spirit of Jesus. He came not to be served but to serve. He talks about the spiritual ignorance, and, and he mentions three things, gold, garments, and he don't say glasses, but he does mention about your vision. Now, look, heaven's going to be made of gold. The whole city structure's made of it, and it's transparent. I've never seen gold you can see through you. But that's what God's going to do. When he talks about wearing white garments, he's not talking about we walk around in robes. He's talking about his righteousness. The only way you and I are ever going to be at peace with God is we walk in his righteousness. And when he speaks of our vision, I know I've done got the 50-year-old eyes. No, I got 60-year-old eyes now. And that means sometimes I can't see signs as well as I used to. <clears throat> the other day, I dread telling illustrations like this because he could show up at church, but I, I pulled out in front of somebody I didn't see. And I, I, until somebody darted across in front of me, and, and I didn't think nothing about it. Me and her were talking. I went up to UT, got some gas. Well, I heard someone say, hey! I said, Yes, yeah, sir? And I can't tell you what he said. I heard language like that in the construction world, and I used it. But now, in, in my old days, I'd, I'd go, uh, son, you ain't going to holler at me like that. But you know what? If I pulled out in front of him and caused him to almost have, need a, a, a depends, I was guilty. I didn't see it. I just saw him blare around me, and I just thought, well, he's going too fast. Well, he commenced to tell me in all kind of English and adjectives and words. And and Cindy said, what do you want? He said, well, in short, he cussed me out. (laughs) Well, what did he cuss you out for? I said, because he said I pulled out in front of him. He said, you need some blank glasses. Well, I wasn't going to tell him I had them. I just wasn't wearing them. I didn't lose my cool. Now, for a second, when I sat down, I realized I ought to carry my 38 in my pocket, and it would have been cool to have it on. I stopped right there, because I I thought in a moment, if I, I, it would have been cool to have my 38 on my side, and just get out and say, what you want, boy? (laughs) But that is flesh. That's all that is, and he could have pulled out something bigger. And then what do we do? Shoot one another. Y'all laugh like y'all ain't never pulled out in front of anybody. <laughs> Jesus' complaint, and I'm probably gonna have to close on this one because it's gonna take just a few minutes, was also soundboarded in a similar similar view. In uh, uh, Revelation chapter two verse uh 1 through 7, but in verse 4, Jesus said this, I have a complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Now, what's he talking about? He said, look how you have fallen from your first love. You know, Cindy was, I don't know, 13 or 14 when I met her. I had other girlfriends, but nothing like she and I communicated well together. And 16, I thought I wanted to marry her, and I didn't need to get married at 16. She knew that better than I did. But when we started dating, and that is when I was able to drive legally, and that was around 17 or 18, I won't tell you, but anyway, I'd go pick her up. I'd open the door for her. Some of you guys say, boy, you made a mistake. No, you made a mistake if you didn't. I let her, I'd call her. And I remember there would be times we'd just sit there and I don't even know what we talked so long about. And, and I felt safe with her and, I, and, and, and we communicate. I mean, we had, a, a, it was a big, it was enough of a bond. She wanted to get married and I wanted to get married. And some call that bond of lust, and it might be some of that in there. I I ain't going to say that's not and be truthful. But as we got older, we were married two years before we decided and prayed that God would start giving us kids. For two years, we kind of got to know one another. But we really got to know one another when we started having kids. Now, she didn't do anything different than other women do. When you start having kids, when you start having kids, guess what happens to the woman? She gravitates to what? The kids. And the guy's sitting over here going, I'm trying to make the best of this. Hey, how you doing? You know, you kind of get shifted a little bit. But then when they grow up and gone, and that's happened in my life, she ain't got nobody to talk to now but me. (laughs) And she and I know what it means to have our love cool off. To have that love not like it heated up in the beginning. That's why he said, like it was in the first. Now, all of you know what it's like to be saved. You remember that, hopefully, and if you don't need to get saved, then you remember it, hopefully. And then there's a time where you deviate a little bit. Now, some people say, well, you was lost. No, you wasn't lost. I have never unmarried. But I wasn't what I ought to be. And then, when she and I lost two baby girls, whew, we hit a wall. I'm talking about a major wall. Now, love is an act of will, right? Sure. You either say you're going to love that person or not. And I made up my mind, I'm going to love her. Now, does that mean I've done everything right? She can tell you nope. Do I meet all her emotional needs? Nope. I'm, I'm learning. But I don't want to go out on the boat. I don't want to go out on the boys Friday night. I want to go out with my wife on Friday night. I haven't pulled away so far that I want to go. Now, don't get me wrong, I go fishing and, and and I'd take her with me, but she don't really like. She says she does. She went with me one time. Shark ate half of her fish in half, and that was over. I mean, she done had enough. She couldn't keep it. I threw away the head. And, and there's nothing wrong with guys or, or, or females every once in a while, but if that's all you, if, look, let me tell you something. When your marriage begins to get lukewarm, When your marriage begins to where the love is not as passionate as what it used to be, you're in trouble. You just don't know it. Lukewarm Christians don't know they're in trouble. You think you're all right. The Bible says, they said, we don't have a need for nothing. We got all the money in the world we want. We got all the clothing. We've got everything we need. We don't need Jesus. I'm going to tell you something. When it comes to a church, if we don't have Jesus, we don't have power, we don't have the spiritual fervent and heat, man, there ain't no reason to meet. I hear people come and say, you know, when I come walk into the Solid Rock and I pray that it's still that way because it's that way in me, that they'll say, God, hey, the Holy Spirit, there's something in there that keeps speaking to me. And it ain't you. And I'm going to tell you something, when I go into a church, what I want to hear, I want to hear the Spirit of God. I want to hear the Holy Spirit speak to the messenger and, and, and rip me in tear and get into my face. Get in, as Tony Evans said, get up in my old grill. Rearrange my face if it needs to. understand how we can look in a mirror and hear things, and we know things going in our life, and we're like James. We look in that mirror, and we see it, but then the Bible says we walk away and forget what manner of man or woman we are. I don't get that. Yep, in the early days, I made sure my wife got in the car, and her legs were in. But I think there's probably been some times through the last past years, there was a time that her feet were still dragging the ground. Eyes are driving off. <laughs> See, you could wait till I get in the car. What's that speak of? That speaks of a falling away. You know, my past, first of all, my number one love, the bottom of all Christianity, is love is a relationship with Jesus. That's what, that's what salvation is. That's what the spiritual Christian life is. It's a, it's a love relationship with him. But then second of all is the love relationship I have with my wife. And I haven't done so hot during the years. I I've done what some of you typically talk about and I hear and I go, Ooh, that was me at one time, but it ain't me now. The Lord gave me her, and if he gave me her, it's my job to make sure we're on fire and love with one another. And if you don't work at that, if you don't realize when you see yourself slipping away, Such things in your conversation will be, well, my next wife, really? All my exes live in Texas. (laughs) If you don't think Satan doesn't want you busted up for his glory and your gloom, You're blind. He don't want you thriving. He doesn't want you falling in love with with a mate you think you're falling out of love with. He doesn't want all that. But Jesus does. And Jesus said love is an act of the will. So with your head bowed and your eye closed, and I'm 2.4,